Okay, you can turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. We are on part 6 of a series talking about understanding the age to come. This morning I'm going to talk about continuity from this age to that age. And I really want to just pick up where I left off last week. We were talking about our inheritance of the glorified body that we're going to receive when the Lord Jesus returns. And it is just one of the funnest, most fascinating subjects in the scripture. And we, we sprinted through it and did it in 50 minutes. This, and the subject is probably something you could spend, you know, you know, hours and hours in a long study upon, you know, just looking at the promises of the glorified body and, and what it looks like. I want to mention two portions of scripture just coming off of last week. And, and Romans 8 is one of them and 2 Corinthians 5 is one of them. And I think these verses give great context to many of the ups and downs we feel in this life. And something I call the, in, the uh, internal dissonance that humans share. And dissonance is when two musical notes, when they don't match. There's two notes being played at the same time and they don't match. And so you hear that kind of off sound. It kind of, it'll go one, 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 maybe, you know, depending on how far, how close the notes are apart. Some people, they can't tell if the notes are good or bad. They just know music is happening. Amen. Some people, though, are very attuned to music and they know pitches and they can really tell, hey, that sounds good or Ooh, that doesn't sound good at all. Some people have perfect pitch. They can completely tell if you hit any kind of a note. I mean, you could even knock and they can even tell you what note that was, even though there's barely a, a musical note attached. Well, so the dissonance is this. It's when the notes don't match and it creates kind of that, ooh, that doesn't feel so good, you know, sound. It's a kind of sound in the music. Well, I think that most people spend their life with an internal dissonance. And what it is is they have the feeling like something's not quite right. There's a, an internal groaning for something more than what they're getting. They, you know, even, even a mature believer, they might be at, at peace with God and at rest in the love of God. But in their soul, they still have a groan, a little bit of an itch. I've lived with a, quite an itch for quite some time. And these couple verses, I just wanted to hand them to you because they really deserve uh, a, a long look. Because it gives such context to that, that sense of dissatisfaction many of us carry in our soul. There's a holy dissatisfaction that's okay for believers to carry. Now, we don't want to ever get over into ungratefulness, but there is a place where your soul, it tells you you're made for more than just this age as it is. And Romans 8 and, and 2 Corinthians 5, just hold, just, I'm just going to touch these real fast and we're going to move on and talk about continuity. But I, I really want to just hand these to you because I believe they're just nuggets of truth from the scripture that we really it will help you as you contextualize your life. Romans 8, let's just look at this, verse 16. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's affirming us all the time on the inside that you're born again. How do you know you're saved? Because the Holy Spirit on the inside is, is affirming me. He's bearing witness with my spirit saying, you are. You're his son. You're his daughter. And if we're children, then we're heirs. This 
Oh, man. We, okay, just stay on target. Because <laughs> there's so much. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then this little phrase, it's fun. If indeed we suffer with him. Most of us don't like that phrase. But it, it appears there's a qualifier to entering into being a co-heir. Entering into fellowship with him. Even in sufferings, that we also may be, and here's the phrase I wanted to uh, point out, that we may also be glorified together. Well, it's us glorified with one another, but he's talking about us and Jesus experiencing this thing called the glorified body, putting on glory. We would be glorified together. Look at verse 18. I'm going to get these verses in context. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The glory that shall be revealed in us is when we are glorified. Paul is not skipping around to different subjects here. He's on the same subject. In fact, for the rest of the chapter, he stays on this subject all the way to the end of the chapter. And he talks about how we are called and already already in the mind of God, we've already gone to this place of being glorified, though it's something we haven't actually uh, attained yet. And this being glorified has to do with putting on the glor- glorified body. And it says the, the stuff that we're going through now, this is, what, this is the point. The sufferings that we go through in this age are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us to the glory that we're going to actually put on, the glory that's going to come on our physical frame when mortal puts on immortality, when corruptible puts on incorruption. Beloved, do you understand there's a whole nother menu of things that are going to happen in your life when you begin to live for real, when you actually put on glory? And then he says this, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What's Paul saying there? He says this. You and I, we carry a groan on the inside. That's the internal dissonance that I was talking about. We carry a groan, an itch. And the itch is always saying, you are made for more than this. You are made for more than just this age. You are made for more than this, just this life. You were made for glory. And humanity all day long, they are searching what they're made for. The power-hungry struggles of humankind can all be attributed to the fact that they, on the inside, are groaning to be glorified. Your frame tells you. Your soul beckons to you. You're made for more than this life. And so you see men, and they, they scratch, and they kick, and they claw, and they try to attain power and riches and fame and wealth in this age, not comprehending that this age is the internship by which we then receive glorification in the next age. 
We put off temporal pleasures now unto receiving eternal pleasures then. That is the apostolic gospel that we don't give ourselves to immediate gratification, but we allow the groan to compel us into God, to compel us into servanthood, into meekness, into love, knowing that we're going to put on glory. Man, I'm preaching good. And here's the deal. The whole creation gets this point. The earth gets it. That's what it says. The animals get it. The whole creation is groaning for what? The revealing of the sons of God. Because it knows, the Bible says, it knows when the sons of God are glorified in the manner that we're going to be, then corruption will also be lifted off the planet. Just to say it in a funny way, your tomato plant in the backyard, it's waiting for the glorification of the sons of God so it can produce big old tomatoes. Because the curse is going to be lifted Glory is going to come on people. The river of life is going to touch the earth. And glory is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. The whole creation groans and waits for that. And we groan too. But we misappropriate the groan. And we go after stupid stuff that leaves us broken and and wounded. Beloved, that groan, that internal sense of I've got to have something more. I tell you, it was heaven designed It was placed in you on purpose by God. That groan for fascination and beauty and shock and awe and and, and just all the things you groan for, that sense on the inside that there's more, there's got to be more, that is the groan that all of us have. And it, 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 it testifies of a future day of glory that you and I will receive in Christ. And oh, I, I feel so sad for those who have, lost their groan because we will choke down all the anesthetizing agents of the flesh and soul will choke down all the lusts of this life and what does it do it dulls our soul till we get to the place where we believe that we are only to live and hope in this life with no picture of the future and greater glory you were created for flip over to second corinthians 5 Verse 1, look at this. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. He's not talking about your, where your bedroom and bathroom and kitchen are. He's talking about your body. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, look, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. He's talking about this. He's dealing with the Gnostic idea that when we, when we die, we just become sort of vapors floating around, you know, a little cas- sort of glorified Casper of the ghosts. That, that's not it at all. We're going to put on glory. Your body is going to be changed. Glory is going to permeate every fiber of your being. If you can just understand, there is a beautiful day coming when you are going to be completely saturated, every fiber, every pore, with the very glory of God. Your mortal will put on immortality, immortality. Because we're groaning for this, longing to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We will not be found naked. Verse 4. 
For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. This is the reason that so many of us on the inside, it's like everything can be good, but on the inside you're like, I want something more. You ever felt that? I mean, you're just like, oh, there's got to be more than this. And God goes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, little one. Stay the course. Continue steadfastly. Look to this hope, this hope we have. I love how John says it, 1 John 3. You just got to look at John and laugh a little bit. I'm just going to quote it, and then I'm going to move on. 1 John 3, he goes, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And the NIV says, And we are. And he goes, no wonder the world doesn't get us because we're children of God. And then he goes this, he goes, and beloved, he goes, it hasn't been completely revealed what we're going to be. I just love John the Apostle. I mean, he's pretty much at you know, the top of the scale of Revelation. He's not totally clear yet what we're going to be. He goes, but I know this, when we see him, we're going to be like him. Like, like, let that one settle on you. When we see him, we're going to be like him. He has no beginning and no end. When you see him, you're going to be like him. His face is shining like the sun in its strength. His eyes are burning like fire. His feet are glowing like bronze in a furnace. When you see him, you're going to be like him. <laughs> when he was raised from the dead, he showed up in their midst, walked through the wall, ate fish. I mean, come on. When you see him, we're going to be like him. This is going to get good. Gooder and gooder and gooder, as they say in the country. It is going to get so good. But that's why we grow now. We grow now because in a minute, all sighing, all sorrow, all tears, all pain, all fear, it's all gone. You might as well groan while you have a chance to groan. Because in a minute, you won't have a reason to groan. And it's really a minute. Life is but a vapor. So many want preachers to continually tell them how to deal with my next 24 hours, my next 168 hours, my next month. You know what I want to talk to you about? How you're going to deal with your next 1,000 years, your next 10,000. And that will contextualize how you should live in the next 24 for real. Okay, good. Hebrews 12. Oh, sorry. Sometimes I just feel like I just got to release something, you know? I don't know who that's for. That's for somebody. If not, I liked it anyway. I enjoyed it. Hebrews 12, this is one of the most critical, interesting verses. It describes the continuity that, that exists between this age and the next. And if you're coming in on part six, I'm definitely going to be shooting some stuff over your head. Go and listen to part one through five. You can get them on our podcast online. But... Uh, 
this provides continuity. This, this verse is one of the most clear ones that identifies the continuity between what exists now and what will exist after the Lord returns and how things that happen now and things that are established now can continue after the Lord Jesus returns. And just to summarize it again, when Jesus returns, time continues as is. Time continues. It's not like, bang, Jesus comes back, and now, ooh, we're just in a timeless, you know, spaceless void atmosphere floating around. Ooh, this is weird. Time continues. He's coming to the planet. Heaven's coming to earth. Everybody wants to talk about how let's die and go to heaven. You get to go to heaven in this age for a minute. Heaven, the New Jerusalem, is a glorious waiting room. It's the best waiting room ever. We should have really good doctor's waiting rooms just to testify of the truth of the waiting room that we get to go to if we die before the Lord returns. The New Jerusalem, tree of life, river of life, throne of God, angels everywhere, living creatures, 24 elders. That's a pretty good living room, waiting room. Pleasures evermore happening. That's a good waiting room. But that's for a minute. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, when the Lord returns, he's bringing everybody back. All who are in Christ, he's bringing them with him to the planet. He's going to set up his global government, his global kingdom on the earth. And so there's time that continues. And, And we've talked about this. I won't go through the whole construct again. There's continuity. There's things that exist now that will exist then. Some stuff will be It'll be deleted. He'll he'll get rid of it. Some stuff he'll shift. He'll change. But time continues. And everything, the processes of life continue mostly the way they are now. Now Hebrews 12, it gives us some specific thoughts on this. The writer of Hebrews, he's quoting Haggai. Haggai wrote Haggai about-ish 500 B.C. He's prophesying of a day to come. And that day had not come yet, for the writer of Hebrews still speaks about it as a day that's in the future. The day to come that he's speaking of is the time when the Lord returns. And look at this, verse 26. He says, and his voice shook the earth then. When? When the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He came down, he shook the earth with his voice. 2.2 million people felt the thunderous earthquake that was released from the being of God as God spoke and audibly 2.2 million people plus heard the Lord speak to them. He shook the earth. His voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised. He's quoting Haggai here. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, It denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. In other words, the writer there, he's saying, because the idea that he's saying that it's one more time only tells us he's going to shake everything one more time and all the shakable stuff is going to go away. He's only going to do one big shaking left and all the shakable stuff is gone. Denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things. So that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Everybody say remain. Let me just read through it and then I'll come back. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all. So he's speaking of a finality 
of the shaking of heaven and earth. And he's saying that God is going to release a shaking on the planet in such a measure that everything that's shakable, and and he's using this term shakable to say what can stand and what can't stand. Stuff that can stand, that's kingdom stuff, it's not shakable. Because he says the kingdom is unshakable. But stuff that's not kingdom stuff, it's all shakable. And God's going to shake everything so severely that anything that's shakable, it will not stand, it will fall. Now whether it be governments, social institutions, economic systems, political systems. Sometimes I... I'm so in touch with my groan to be clothed, I get a little frustrated because I look at systems in our earth and, and I know that all, we know all these different systems that we have, I mean, whether it's healthcare or finance or, or whatever, I know there's believers that work in all of them and it's, that's fine. We have to be employed in the systems of the world. We, we live in the world right now. We're not of it, but we live in it. But I look at the systems and, and, and how they do things and I go, my Lord, this junk is broke. You ever feel like that? You ever just go, man, it's all not working. And I, I appreciate good lawmakers and good leaders in government, but let me tell you something. There's not one lawmaker or one leader that we're going to elect that's going to get all the systems to work right. There's only one guy who's going to get all the systems to work right. His name is the Lord Jesus. Guess what? The Father's already voted. He's already set him up. He is the king who will inherit the earth. He will reign as king, king of kings and lord of lords on the earth. Thankfully, we get to reign with him, and he's going to show us how it shall be done. I mean, I appreciate elected officials. I vote. I want righteousness to reign as much as possible. But my hope is not in a man, or a woman for that matter. My hope is not in some elected official. My hope is in the Lord Jesus. Hope in God, and you'll never be put to shame. You'll you'll never be hurt in heart. You, You won't have that hope deferred, that heart sick thing. So here's the deal. God is gonna come. He's gonna shake everything. When the Lord Jesus comes, uh, when he returns, Everything that can be shaken, he will shake everything. He will apply his standard to the earth. And anything that's not of a kingdom standard, it will fall, it will fail, it will be removed or deleted. Now some things will remain. He's going to shake everything so that that which cannot be shaken, he says it will remain. And that the implications of that idea are vast. Because where there be laws, social institutions, whether it's government, economics, whatever it is, if it can't be shaken, in other words, if it, if it lines up with kingdom values, if it lines up with the heart of Jesus, it will remain through the Lord Jesus coming into the next age, and it will be a foundational element by which he begins to release and establish his kingdom on the earth. He's going to order it and establish it. And it will be one of the foundational pieces that made it through as an unshakable element by which he will then release his global government. He will establish his global government. And here's the thing. Get this in your mind. 
It's not going to happen by a snap of the fingers. It's going to happen over time. He's going to establish an order. He's going to set people in place. He's going to judge current rulers. He's going to judge current systems. He's going to judge between nations, the scripture tells us. In some cases, I think he'll change borderlines. I know for sure the Middle East is up for a rude awakening. Because the Lord promised Israel all the way from Egypt all the way over. I mean, there's a lot of land over there that belongs to Israel. I mean, he's going to land. He's going to go, hey, you guys, pull out the map. Here, let's look at it. From Egypt to the river. Okay, there's the Euphrates. Okay, all the way over. See that? That's Israel. And they're not going to go, but we need oil and whatever. He's going to go, no, no, no. I'm the king of kings. Bam. Israel. Everybody good about that? Yes, sir. We are so good. Because I thought you might say that. I'm so glad for that. But he, he's going to shift boundary lines. He's going to set in new leadership. But the stuff that is unshakable from this age will remain. So put, let's, let's be more tactile with it. Tangible. If you are involved in seeing things established now that are of kingdom value, that are by the values of the kingdom, is what I mean to say, that are run by what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, meekness as a, as a key uh, element, poor in spirit. They're run w- with that mentality by the value system of the kingdom. Those things will be unshakable. When you see laws that are established that are righteous laws, those laws will be unshakable and they will continue right on over into the next age in the books. And Jesus is going to show up. He's going to go, man, I really like that group, you guys. Man, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you broke the back of that abortion law. And, and yeah, pro-life law. I, he goes, I like life. I'm into life. I create life. I put people in people's bellies. That's what I do. He goes, I'm into that. I really like the fact that you stopped that. He goes, yeah, we'll keep that law on the books. You see how it works. So, I mean, there's thousands of, I I could never come up with them off the top of my head, but there's thousands of implications of how the unshakable stuff will remain. And so then the the admonition comes from the writer of Hebrews. He says, listen, hey, he goes, let's uh, let's show gratitude to the Lord. Let's be grateful for everything he's doing right now. Let's let's show gratitude in our heart to the Lord. And uh, let's, let's get a little bit of reverence on us. Let's serve him in an acceptable way with awe. Because <laughs> the unshakable stuff is going away. And he's, he's pointing to the intense time when the Lord comes and tries everything by fire. Now, let's work through these areas of continuity and let's, we'll land, I'm just going to, I've been kind of giving broad strokes, but, but we'll, we'll land on character and spirituality. So as I said, time continues. Geography continues. He'll move nations' lines around. There's social continuity. Laws will carry over. But character, how you spend your life in this age, it, it, it positions you for the way you will spend the next age. So your character, as you, as you uh, apply your heart to living in, with godly character now, there is continuity to the reward that you receive as a result of living with godly character now. 
Matthew 5, 5. We kind of made this a fun little jingle. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's this little slogan, kind of, little beatitude. Let's just slow it down. Look at it real slow. Blessed are the meek. Why, Jesus? Why are the meek blessed? Well, the meek are blessed because I'm going to give them the planet. <laughs> they'll be my leadership team and they'll own everything. That changes it a bit. It's not just a little slogan. He's actually describing how Jesus, how he's going to pick his leadership team and a requisite for being a part of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom of God. He goes, meekness is key to me. He's in my kingdom, it's run by meekness. Let me tell you something. There is no pyramid structure in the kingdom of God. He who is greatest among you, let him be your. The first shall be, and the last shall be. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, listen, the lords of the Gentiles, they love titles. They love to be called benefactor. They love the best seats. He goes, but not you. He's talking to his disciples. He goes, don't allow men to give you a title. He goes, don't be called benefactor. That was a title they used for lords in the New Testament times. And a lot of times these landowners, they would own large plots of land and they would put the people on the land. And they really kept the people impoverished. But what would happen is occasionally they would you know, sort of throw them a bone. And they would say, see, I'm good. Look what I did for you. But the whole time they're extracting taxes and they're keeping them under their thumb. And these lords of the Gentiles over these large land plots, they said, you're going to have to call me benefactor because I'm so good to you. All the while knowing that they were raping and pillaging and plundering the people. He goes, the, the leadership in the Gentile world, the leadership of the world, they love titles. But they love to be called benefactor. He goes, but not you. Let the greatest among you be as the younger. And he goes, listen, I'm as one among you. He goes, and I've got you sitting at the table with me. He goes, but I am serving you. <laughs> and he asked me, he goes, so who's better? Generally, when you walk into a place, is it the servant that's better or the guy sitting at the table being served? And they go, well, the guy at the table. He goes, yeah, but I'm among you as one who serves. And so it shall be among, uh, among you. This is the way I run my kingdom. It's the upside down pyramid. Leadership is servanthood and love. So as you give yourself to the character of the kingdom, that so much determines how you will be rewarded in this life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm not going to go into a teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, but the, the values of the kingdom of God are the same values he's going he's gonna to use them. He comes up and he, he proclaims the values of the kingdom and he says, this is the way I run things and, and now we're expected as subjects of the kingdom to live in that manner. And beloved, I'll just say this, when we stare at the Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't studied the Sermon on the Mount, we have a Sermon on the Mount class coming up here in, in the next semester. You can read my book on it. I just got a little 120 page introductory book on the Sermon on the Mount. But if you've never looked at it, it is the expected values that Christians are to live by. And most of what we see in Western Christianity, it's not just a little bit off. It's actually perpendicular to the value system that Jesus set up. It's crazy. 
When I began to stare at the Sermon on the Mount, it pierced me so deeply because I looked at all those, the, the eight values of the kingdom, and I went, oh my gosh, I don't look like any of those. And I've been calling myself Christian for years and years. So anyway, that is going to be a major standard that he applies to our life. And, and then our rewards are going to be based on how we live by the standard of, the, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to summarize it under one term, meekness. Meekness. Preferring others above yourself. Serving others more than yourself. Loving and giving to others without expectation of receiving it back. That's why Paul said, love without hypocrisy. You know, there's love with hypocrisy where you love just so you can get something back from somebody. A lot of people manipulate others through quote-unquote love. They give and they serve just so that they can call due on that giving and service later. Well, praise God. Not getting many amens, but it's okay. So character has incredible continuity. Everything that's in the darkness will be exposed. He's going to come and apply the light and the fire. I tell you, we'll see it all. I'm, I, I tremble over it. Because our little happy Christianese, Christian face that we put on, come to church, praise God, hallelujah, glory to God, amen. Praise God, brother, sister, amen. How you doing? Bless, glory to God, amen. How are you? That bull crud is going away. Excuse me. It is. I mean, he's going to go, let's see all this glory to God, amen. Put the fire. Huh. Lying, cheating, stealing, arrogant, self-serving, praise the Lord. He's going to nail it. Amen. Boy, I just feel good today. And then there's spiritual continuity. And really, I'm talking about character and spiritual. They're really the same ideas. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of slicing it up for you. But what I mean is this. The Lord actually gives prophetic promises to people in the scripture in this age about their position and their status in the next age. Let me just throw a few at you. Zerubbabel in Haggai 2 has a prophetic promise for who he will be in the next age. Abraham, the bulk of his promises, talking about becoming a great nation and the stars of the sky, all of that, and the sands of the sea being the people that come from him, most of that will be fulfilled in the next age. Daniel, he says, you're going to shine, Daniel, talking about the next age. Elijah, and then the nation of Israel. Most of the prophecies for the nation of Israel are regarded, uh, they're regarding the next age. Many, many, many chapters. I mean, they have the most prophecies in, in the whole scripture uh, regarding the millennium. And then there's, there's different individuals. I mean, I've named a few, but there's a couple I just want to identify. King David. It's just an interesting thing. The Lord, through Ezekiel, prophesies to David, and he gets a personal prophecy about what he will do in the next age. Let's just look at it. It's going to come up on your screen. Ezekiel 34, talking about the age to come. The Lord says, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So David, and there's, a, there's four or five other verses that identify David as getting, it appears to be, the chief leadership position in Israel underneath Messiah. He's the prince. Jesus is the king, and David actually becomes the prince in Israel. Very interesting. 
Isaiah 55 calls David a prototype, essentially that's my term, but a prototype for Messiah. So it makes sense that, that Jesus-ish number one guy is just like him. So David will be a prince. That's a pretty cool prophetic promise. How'd you like that? You get a little prophecy room? I feel like I got a word for you. You're going to be number one in Jesus' kingdom in the age to come. That's a good word. Apparently, he's the highest ranking government official underneath Jesus in the next age. Now, the apostles, look at this in Matthew 19. This is interesting. It'll come up on your screens. Jesus prophesying to the apostles. He says, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me also will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many are first will be last and the last shall be first. He identifies that the apostles are going to have a, if you will, a, like a cabinet position with Jesus in the next age. Specifically ruling over the nation of Israel. Well, beloved, if he's got plans for David, he's got plans for the apostles, he's got plans for Zerubbabel and Abraham and all these others, guess who else he's got plans for? You, which is what it says. Anyone, all you have followed me, and everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters or fathers, these promises are for you. There is, in the mind of God, a prophetic plan for who you're gonna be in the next age. I don't know what it is, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you get to be governor of Lawrenceville in the next age. Lawrenceville might be a really cool place. We get breakthrough and the glory of the Lord's here and we get that and it just carries on over. Governor of Lawrenceville might be really good. Sounds kind of cheesy now, but you never know. We get breakthrough. He might just sweep the whole southeast, just sweep the, the boundary line and go, okay, over here from Tennessee down over there to Mississippi, we're going to call that Lawrenceville. You just never know. And going, you, you served me faithfully, interceded faithfully in the house of prayer. You brought breakthrough. You didn't know when you were praying. The angels were being released. Things were popping open. The glory of the Lord was being released because of your faithfulness and your aggression in the spirit. He goes, you're governor of Lawrenceville, <laughs> southeast. You go, hey. A minute ago, that sounded goofy. I kind of like this. But it's really like that in a sense. There are really positions of authority he's already got you in mind. He's not going to show up and go, oh, man, I've got all these positions of authority. And who to put there? He already knows. He already knows who's living faithfully, who's giving their hearts an abandonment toward him, who's serving him now uh, with the values of the kingdom. He's already figuring it out. That changes the way you live now, doesn't it? You don't just walk around going, doo, 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 doo. I'm a Christian, I won't go to R-rated movies and cars, and, and that's it. No, you are right now, you are qualifying for rulership. Stunning. Should put a little tremble on you. Really should. I, it, it puts tremble in me. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found faithful. I want when my works are tried... I want him to stand up to the, the trial of fire. 
I don't want to be found, you know, saved by, saved as by fire. You know, like, boy, that guy just got, he just got in. His, his pants are kind of still on fire a little bit. Hey, had the fire department guy here. <laughs> we put some water on that guy. I want to come in and I want the Lord to go, man, I'm looking at your life, son. And Oh, look at that. Look at how through your life you progressed. You continue to get rid of not needful things and, and wrong character mentalities and, and wrong heart issues. And you continue to be transformed, even from glory to glory, into the image of my son. And look at you. I, I, look, I'm not expecting tomorrow to wake up because I, I preached on this and be like perfect tomorrow. But I'm expecting for my life, I mean, my heart in God is because I'm falling more in love with him, everything else is getting, it's losing its luster. Because I'm falling more in love and I'm getting more abandoned in God. That stupid stuff that derails and detracts and, and causes unbelief and dullness, that, that junk just falls off as I continue to apply my heart to falling in love with God. And in doing so, then out of a heart of love, faithfulness, it just bubbles out of me. Faithfulness. Faithful to his calling. Faithful to everything he's asking of me. Faithful to his, his character. Living a life, what the apostles called, a life worthy of the Lord. A life worthy of the Lord. Okay, let's, let's dial this in. Turn to 1 Corinthians thir- uh, 3, and we'll land with this verse. Continuity. How you spend your life now. This is all it means. How you spend your life now will determine... Where you will be placed, the rewards you will have, the amount of glory that will be upon your glorified body, it'll determine all that then. I love, I, I quote, I, it's a, I paraphrase the C.S. Lewis, but he says, you know, there's no way anybody in this life has the ability to do everything that's in their heart to do. Basically, this whole life is about making one decision. What will you do with Jesus. And I agree with that because there's so many dreams and so many desires and so many giftings and so much in all of us that we'll never be able to realize. And we kind of think, well, man, the guy died and he just, he didn't ever fulfill his potential. Well, the thing about it is all of us have that. We have so much potential that we will not be, you don't have time to do it, guys. I mean, even if you were just like 18 hours a day, nose of the grindstone kind of guy, you still wouldn't be able to accomplish all that's in your capacity, well, the Lord's going to give us a glorified body, give us another age, a thousand years on the earth to be able to just walk out a whole bunch of that stuff. 1 Corinthians 3. It changes our perspective of life in this age. causes us to live in a very focused way. Somebody goes, well, why are you teaching on the age to come? The glorified body is kind of pie in the sky stuff. No, it's not. If you see that, how you live now will dramatically shift. So important. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, this is Paul speaking, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. That foundation is Christ. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test 
One version says the quality of each one's work, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, there it is again, continuity of works from that age, from this age to that, he will receive a reward. Rewards based on quality of work. Look at that. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. You know, I've, I've looked at this verse and there's things that are evident to me. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear. It tells me this, that there's a lot of works going on in the name of Jesus. And at this current point, it's not really clear what the deal is with a lot of them. There's a lot of big stuff happening. Christian name on it. Name of Christ. Jesus name on it. Ministry name on it. All sorts of big things out there. And, and it's, it's obvious. Paul said it's not really clear yet about a lot of it. It will be clear when fire is applied to it. That's interesting. When fire is applied, then we will see what the work really was about. I've thought often on this because as a missionary, you know, we live, I'm a missionary, we have 65, 70 here that are missionaries, and we live with support teams. People that, you know, they sow financially into your life so that you can do the work of the ministry. And, uh, you know, there's this temptation when you have to write newsletters to tell a cool story so that the people that are giving money will be motivated. And I just wonder so often how many ministries are doing ministry so they can tell a cool story, so they can gain the favor of men, so they can get more money. Sometimes it's not real clear on this age, in this age. But there's a day coming when it will be clear. I promise you it'll be clear. Fire is going to be applied to every person's work. They're going to be men and women. They're going to, they're going to walk in and they're going to have a small offering to lay before the Lord. You know, I imagine they have a a sack of some sort. They're going to reach in the sack and they'll have a gemstone as big as their hand. Fire will hit it and it will remain. And everybody will go, who is that? And he'll go, well, nobody ever knew her in her life in the last age. She, She was a faithful intercessor who lived in meekness, lived very lean, gave all her money she could to the poor. By some standards, she was poor herself, but she was one that I could wake up any hour of the night, ask her to pray over what was on my heart, and she would faithfully spend those hours with me in intimacy, interceding from the burdens upon my heart. Nobody ever knew her in this age, but oh, the glory of the life that she spent serving me. And then I imagine... There's going to be people that will walk up to the Lord Jesus, ones that we know. We'll know the person. And they will present, I mean, a colossal masterpiece. We'll look at that and we'll go, what in the world? 
Fire will hit it and it will turn to ash. Jesus said to the disciples, many who are first will be last. What does that mean? That means people who we esteem to be first right now, when fire hits their, their works in this age, they will be, they will be, it will be revealed the manner of work they had and it will be last. We will, there will be people we know that will stand before the Lord, present a lifetime of work, fire will hit it, it will try and test the quality of the work and it will turn to ash. They themselves will be saved even as by fire and we will sit there and scratch our head and go, oh my gosh, I thought whatever. So you go, well, what's the standard? I mean, he's just gonna arbitrarily like throw fire at it? Like, eee. Well, the fire of God is the love of God. When God tries men's works in this age, I think the, the, the key component will be, were the works done in love, by love and for love, or were they done for self and platform and personal promotion? Were they done out of a heart of love or were they done out of a heart of self-preference? See, beloved, we don't strive to do good works. We fall in love and the good works follow. You were created in Christ for good works. That's what Ephesians tells us. You were created in Christ for good works. That you should walk in them. How do we walk in them? You fall in love. Fall in love, and love will compel and propel your heart right into those good works that were prepared for you. But it's clear right here that some men will show up. Though they had good works prepared for them to walk in, they choose to walk in a whole other uh, agenda of works motivated not by love. And when the fire of God love, God's love tests the quality of the work, bam, it's going to fall. It will, be, it will be disintegrated in a moment in their life. In this age, it will be shown to be a waste, though they themselves may be saved. Beloved, this is real. You and I have an appointment. No, really. We have an appointment. We're going to stand before Jesus. We're going to offer him our life. Every thought, word, and deed will be reviewed. Thank God for the blood of Jesus because I got a bunch of thought, words, and deeds that I do not need those reviewed. Thank you, Lord. Sin that's under the blood of Jesus will not be reviewed. It's been forgiven. But we will offer works to the Lord. They will be reviewed. They will be tried by fire. And what's done by meekness and love in faithfulness to him will stand and what's not will burn. And the manner of reward that we receive will be as a result of how we lived our life in this age. I think it boils down to this. Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? Did you learn to give love? Is what you did in your life? Did you do it for love, by love? Did you prefer others? Did you become low so others could become great? Beloved, that's the, that's the calling of this age. 
What, what did Jesus do? He became low so all of us could become great. That's the calling of our lives in the kingdom. To become low, to become lesser than, so that others can become great. John the Baptist had it. He goes, I'm going to decrease so that Jesus can increase. I mean, it's going to be a good day when the Lord reviews John the Baptist. Let's see here. You could have been a priest, but instead of getting into the corruption of the priesthood, you went out in the wilderness and prayed a lot and ate locusts and ate honey. Okay, well, we'll go with that. And instead of wearing all the robes and the phylacteries of the priesthood, you, well, you killed a camel and wore his skin. We'll go with that. That's good. And uh, let's see, once your ministry was growing and the Son of God came, instead of trying to trump him and say that you were the man, you said, no, my ministry is about to get really bad because his is going to get really good. He goes, uh, I like that. And when it came down to standing in front of the king and whether or not you were going to bow to political pressure or proclaim truth and stand for the gospel, well, it's, oh, yeah, you lost your head. It's going to be a good day for him. I want a good day. Don't you want a good day? Oh, that day's coming. It's a job review. It's a job review. That day's coming. Just on the side, because I believe I'm talking to believers, but while we're there and while you feel that little tremble, that little fear of the Lord kind of resting on us, there's some people that are going to, it's going to seem they got fired because he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. Do you know what wheat and tares are? Tares are actually a weed. It's a poison. Wheat, obviously, it's grain. We know that we make it into all sorts of different, you know, kind of breads and foods. But Middle Eastern wheat and Middle Eastern tares, they look exactly alike. They look exactly alike. It's only a trained eye that can actually tell them apart. And you can only have so much tear in a harvest, you have to throw the whole harvest out. The Lord lets the tares grow up with the harvest, and at the end of the age, he separates the wheat from the tares. It's going to appear that the guy got fired, but the truth of the matter is, he was gonna, he's going to be one that's going to be found out to be a tear the entire time. He looked like a wheat, but instead he was false. I tell you, make your calling. Make it sure. Don't play a game. Don't play a game with your salvation or with your Christianity. You better be abandoned. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love him with everything. You know, right now, we, we, we aim our hearts that direction to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we know that we're not there. But we want to be. But we know we're not. I tell you what, though, in a moment when we see him, we're going to be like him. And we are going to love him. We're going to love him like we've been loved. We're going to know him like we've been known. We're going to love him like we've been loved. Let me just say this to you. Don't play a game with your Christianity, with your relationship with Jesus. Don't play a game as a believer with your life. Let it be tried. Let it be true. Ask him to judge you now. That's a prayer I pray on a regular basis. Say, Lord, judge me now so in that day I won't be shocked when I'm judged. Amen. Amen. Good, let's stand. Get a little uncomfortable. I don't mind. Lord, I pray right now. Let the revelation continuity. Let it strike our hearts and minds. We would see that the way that we live now has everything to do with our reward and that day.
day that's ahead. Come Holy Spirit, I ask right now. Release truth. Release revelation to us. Put a tremble in us. Put a tremble in us. Let us serve God with reverence and awe. Knowing this, because the next verse in Hebrews 12 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Come Holy Spirit.